Spectrum is brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. The Scripps College offers the foundation for individuals seeking to blend creativity and practice so that graduates have the freedom to direct their skills and move the world forward. Its faculty takes a multidisciplinary approach to academic, professional, and social growth so that graduates have relentless optimism to navigate the changing environment. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. Spectrum features conversations with an eclectic group of people. Some are famous and some aren't, but the common thread is that they all have captivating stories. Today, we're talking with Dr. Andrew Seeley. He is president of the Migration Policy Institute, a policy and research think tank in Washington, D.C. Until recently, he also was executive vice president of the Woodrow Wilson Center in Washington. Dr. Seeley has expertise in immigration issues with a special emphasis on Mexico and the interrelationship between Mexico and the United States. He talks with us about DACA and DREAMers and President Trump's recent decision to eliminate their status in the U.S. For those people who may not actually know what DACA is and what the DREAMers are, are, could you sort of define it for us before we go forward with our discussion? The dreamers are people who arrived in in the United States from other countries, immigrants who came as children, um, accompanying their parents, um, and are now reaching, um, you know, 17 and above. And it's a group that's been very sympathetic uh, to a lot of people because the the argument has been, you know, these are people who came without documents, immigrants who came without documents, not all immigrants. Um, but but they didn't do so through their own choice. They came with their parents. They've grown up in the United States. And so it's a bounded group. And what DACA did, DACA was a, an executive order from President Obama. Um, here's where it starts to get controversial. Um, seeing that... Congress did not do anything, which some Republicans and Democrats have been pushing to have legislation to protect from deportation these kids who had grown up in the United States without documents. Um, he went ahead and did an executive order saying, we will simply not deport anyone who meets certain criteria as long as they come forward and let us know who they are. Um, they put some dates in there, so it's not quite anyone. Um, they couldn't have a criminal record. Um, they had to show that they were either in high school, had finished high school, or had served in the military. So there was a sense they had to be making either educational progress or serving the country. Um, and we had about 800,000 people who applied for this um, and uh, have been protected from deportation and given work permits for two years, renewable every two years. Um, and that's DACA. You know, it's a, it's a group who are not put on a path to citizenship. They are... They are protected administratively by the White House from deportation, um, and they are given a temporary work permit. But it really is a limbo status um, for a, this group of folks. So let's go back to President Obama. It's my understanding that he 
as a constitutional lawyer, uh, in addition to being president, struggled with doing this by executive order, but in essence felt he had no choice. He wanted to protect his status, but nothing was getting through the Congress. Is that a correct statement? I, I think that's a fair statement. Uh, some Republicans would say that there was some movement in Congress. Senator Marco Rubio was actually the, the one of the major champions on this on the Republican side. So there was a little bit of of difference of opinion there, but but generally speaking, Congress was stuck as it often is on on big legislation. And, and um, the Dreamers have been very effective organizers. These are people who grew up in the United States and they understand American politics. They've been very effective organizers. And there was a lot of sympathy for them within the Obama White House, and he felt it was the only way he was going to be able to get to the outcome that he believed in, which is that that these people would be allowed to stay in the United States. And so he did it by executive order. I guess he, the, the Constitution gives the President of the United States pretty wide authority in immigration matters. It's one, it's one of those areas where the President has wide authority. And, and some people have actually drawn, interestingly enough, the comparison between what President Trump has done on his travel ban with what Obama did on his decision on DACA, right? I mean, in many ways, this is the president using these slightly different, you know, there, there are some variations that lawyers would point out. But but in similar ways, basically say, you know, classes of people, I'm making a determination about how we're going to treat them in immigration law. Um, and my guess is is probably most constitutional lawyers would have, at least those that have spoken out so far, think that he probably had the authority to do it. But there is some disagreement on that. And, and certainly there is a, you know, a bias, I would say, and the other question is whether or not he should, you know, whether or not it, he had the authority to do it, is it the right way to make legislation? I, and I think you'd see some people who were you know, opposed to this say, you know, yeah, maybe he has the right to do it. Some would say he didn't have the right to do it, but some would say maybe he has the right to do it, but it's not a great way to make policy, right, from the White House. This should really be done by legislation. So these 800,000 people... To obtain this status, as I understand it, had to give um, really detailed information about addresses, social security numbers, where they live, uh, backgrounds, enough for the government to do background checks, criminal record checks right. uh, on on these individuals. And the amassing of that information is now one of the points of controversy. It, it is. Um, I mean, there's obviously a legitimate fear from um, now that President Trump has said that he's going to rescind the program, that he's going to end it in six months, that if there isn't a legislative fix, if there isn't legislation that, that then protects this group, that the Department of Homeland Security could use the information they gave to go after them. Now, that doesn't seem to be the case. The way the executive order was done, um, that information is supposed to be protected um, by Citizenship and Immigration Services, which is the arm that does that deals with the legal side of immigration, um, and it should not be handed over to um, Immigrations and Customs Enforcement ICE, which is the part that deals with deportation. So, in theory, it's all well protected. You know, under current statute, it is all well protected, or under current order, it's well protected. But obviously, there is some fear that that could be that that could be toyed with. I, I would doubt that that would happen. That would be incredibly. You know, that would be a very politically unpopular thing to do. So I, I don't think that would happen. But but look, I mean, for the young people in this situation, they, they obviously are concerned that the government has all their data and might they might suddenly be subject to deportation again. And it could be used, you know, theoretically to go after them. 
these 800,000, give us an idea, if you could, Dr. Seeley, about, about the makeup of this group. Is it predominantly Latino? Is it a, a cross-section of immigration into the country? You know, it is overwhelmingly Latino. In fact, it is about seven, oh, close to 700,000, just shy of 700,000 out of the 800,000 are Mexican. Um, by origin, actually. So it skews very heavily Latino. But there are large numbers and very prominent, you know, among leaders who come from every place in the world, who are Chinese and Filipino and European. And, you know, there are people from all over the world who who have come here. And, and right now it's interesting. I mean, much of the, the largest immigration in the United States today is actually from Asia, not from Latin America anymore. But because we are dealing with people who came, you know, for the most part 20, 25 years ago, um, or 15 to 25 years ago, we are, um, we're looking at a population that is mostly Latino. But, but a lot of leadership, when you see the dreamers out there, um, a lot of it has come from, and, and it's probably been a conscious decision also on part of leadership to make sure it's a diverse group. Um, but there, there's you know, folks from almost any country you could name within the dreamers. So during the 2016 campaign, uh, then-candidate Trump really made an issue of this uh, whole DACA situation uh, multiple times and seemed to be really entrenched in his position against it. Would that be a fair statement? That would be a fair statement. He was very vocal about it. Um, He felt it should be ended. You know, and, and he was reacting with, I think, what you know, some sectors in the Republican Party and some, and even a few Democrats would say, you know, they felt was sort of a, a presidential overreach by Obama. And so it was a symbol of that, you know. And on the other hand, he gets into office as president. You start to look at it, but you realize that whether or not you think it's an overreach, this turns out to be a very sympathetic population, right? I mean, you know, even, even among people who are, who have questions about, you know, about unauthorized immigration, about whether we should be deporting more people or not. You know, the, the sense that these are, are kids, and, and some of them are now young adults, um, but, but they came here as children without any decision in, in, in the process, right? They didn't come here by choice. They came here because they were minors and their parents were bringing them. And, and it turns out to be a group that, that, you know, has been called out for special treatment by people on both sides in part because they fit into this very unusual niche, right? I mean, it's, it's a right. yeah, it's it's not a decision that they made, and so I think he's begins to struggle with this. And, and as near as we can tell, you know, he seems to have been struggling with this, and people around him have been struggling with it. You know, how to actually reverse what he sees as an illegal decision by or inappropriate decision by President Obama, and at the same time not leave these kids unprotected. It seems like he was having multiple voices speak to him within his staff as well. Uh, Just last night, Steve Bannon was uh, on uh, CBS uh, on uh, doing an interview with Charlie Rose saying that he he told him to just flat out uh, abandon the the Dreamers. and, And that was something that he had to do for his base. Uh, I assume there were other voices on the other side. I, I think there were, and I think, you know, if, if, if rumors are to be true, and, you know, I have no way of knowing this is true, um, you know, it seems that his daughter and his, his son-in-law were among, Jared Kushner, were among the other people sort of recommending that he that he keep it. Um, there were people who were looking for, you know, to strike a balance in the middle. 
And, and this is what he's done in the end. I mean, what President Trump did last week was essentially say, you know, we are going to um, we're going to stop the program, but but we're going to do it in six months, you know, and we're going to throw it to Congress to try and 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 get a solution. Now that you know, for for the the people who are covered by the program, that's a very scary solution, obviously, because now they're facing the possibility that they you know they've been in the legal population now for the you know, the last few years, and suddenly they have, you know, been able to go to college, they've been able to get better jobs, they've been able to, you know, have a normal life in the United States, thanks to this protection, and they could lose it in six months. And so that's a very, you know, it's a very difficult situation. On the other hand, you know, what the White House has done, and I and what they would defend on this is they've, they've thrown it back to Congress to come up with a permanent solution. And so we need to see if that permanent solution is going to come. It looks like, in the end, Trump was able to tell his base that he was ending this, but he did it in such a way that there is still a possibility that this will, that, that DACA will have a future and maybe even a better future if it turns out that there's a legislative. It seems, though, that uh, this is similar to the uh, old uh, biblical story of King Solomon slicing the baby in half or threatening to do that. Uh, it, it, it's, yes. it seems to some that this was a non-decision. It wasn't really a decision. Mm-hmm. You, you know, I, I, I think the, you know, the other way to go about it was to, to obviously keep it in place and try and force Congress to make, to make a decision and, and bring the president in to negotiate. Um, but they didn't, they chose not to go that direction. Um, you know, that would have been unpopular with Trump's base. He may not believe in that. Um, and, and so they went a different direction with this. Um, but we'll see. Congress sometimes acts under pressure, and, and there is some reason to believe that this is gaining some traction right now in Congress, though, you know, the record on, on Congress making big decisions in recent years has not been has not been great under leadership of either party. So, you know, I think there's the dreamers are legitimately worried that, uh, you know, they they may end up in, in a in a very bad situation in six months. But there is a chance that the pressure will will force a real debate and will force a vote. It seems so that also uh, other messages coming out of the administration, specifically the attorney general's office, uh, sound more dire. Uh, for example, uh, saying that, uh, you know, at the end of your time, you better be ready to go back to wherever you came from and you should start making those arrangements now. Now, that may be prudent, but it certainly um, is sort of a dire statement coming from the AG's office. It is a dire statement. And and by the way, I mean, part of the reason why the decision happened now and not later was there was a group of state attorney generals led by Texas that were suing the federal government um, to get rid of DACA. And the attorney general, Jeff Sessions, decided that he would not um, defend it, that he did not feel he had the legal grounds to defend DACA in the courts. And, you know, and so that left the White House with a stark decision, right? Did they then um, decide to to pursue the case, even though the Attorney General wasn't going to defend it or not. Some people say they could have continued on, which they certainly could have. But um, but it did. The, the timing was forced by that. There does, however, seem to be a division, and and it's a division in the Republican Party, and it's a division actually in the administration between people like Attorney General Sessions who think that it is you know this is an amnesty program, and no cost should the U.S. government ever have an amnesty program for anyone who crossed the border illegally or came in you know, on an airplane illegally or overstayed their visa. Um, and those in the administration who think that this is, 
a special case where, and, and a lot of Republicans in Congress are at this place. I mean, there's at least two Republican-sponsored bills right now to enact legislation to protect the Dreamers. Um, there's a lot of Republicans who think that this is a special group that deserves protection. Um, and I think we're likely to see some real momentum built around it just because of that. It also seems that at least in some of the rhetoric going around, there's the conflating that this group is the same as people who come in and commit crimes and join gangs and and uh, bring drugs and all of the parade of horribles that we've heard from either the president himself or some of his administrative people. Yet this is a group that... It, if you can use the term, is pure as pure can be. I mean, they've they've passed the extreme vetting test. Yes, yes, the extreme vetting test of, be, of being Americans their whole life. I mean, I, I know a number of the Dreamers just through, you know, through life circumstances, people that I've known along the way. And these are, for the most part, young people who are as American as as anyone. I mean, they've grown up in this country. They have never been in the country they were born in since they were born there, I mean, since they came across. And, and for many, they came across before an age they can even remember. Um, so this is as American a group as you can get. Um, one of the things we do know from research we've done at Migration Policy Institute is that they, they seem to have better, in fact, much better educational outcomes and job outcomes as a result of getting DACA status than they would have otherwise. And, and that's not surprising, right? I mean, what this means is when they were able, when they got that permit that allowed them to work, and in most cases, it also allowed them then to to access different kinds of, of scholarship systems, go to public universities in places where they couldn't have otherwise. Th these young people took advantage of the opportunities. Now, probably not everyone did, but, but a lot of them did. And so they've really had, and a lot of them then moved into the labor market and done very well and had jobs that they would not have had um, if they had not had that protection, right? These are kids who grew up wanting to go to college or wanting to get, you know, a, a good job and or wanting to go into the U.S. military, and suddenly they could do it. Um, and so they've done quite well with it, actually. But also we should say, you know, in, in general, most immigrants actually have much lower crime rates, actually, than non-immigrants. I mean, this is the, the sort of myth of the you, you can find cases of really bad immigrants in, in the U.S. and really bad unauthorized immigrants, I and mean, they certainly are out there. But, but oddly enough, you know, people who were born in another country and came to the United States commit many fewer crimes um, on average than native-born Americans. Now, it changes by the second generation. Second generation kids of immigrants look pretty much like every other American, interestingly enough. Um, but, but immigrants are much more cautious for obvious reasons. You know, they came here to, to work to try and get their family to do better for the most part. And, and most of them try and stay out of trouble while they're in the United States. Not all, but, but many more than native-born Americans do. We'll be back after this message. Spectrum's brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. The Scripps College is one of the most comprehensive colleges of communication in the country. It offers a foundation of creativity and practice so that graduates can move the world forward. In particular, the Scripps College offers challenging coursework that holds students to high expectations, an integrated curriculum that combines a variety of disciplines and ideas, 
and student-driven media organizations where students can apply these skills and gain experience that enables them to hit the ground running upon graduation. That's the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. As you said, President Trump uh, made the order rescinding the the DACA status, but basically put a put it on hold for six months, uh, mandating that Congress uh, has that period of time to do something. There are so many elements in in Congress on immigration. Obviously, we've not been able to pass uh, comprehensive immigration reforms uh, for years. Why does one think that this will get passed? You know, I, I think for two reasons. One is that it is small and manageable. Congress does better when it's dealing with small, manageable issues, bounded issues rather than big ones. I mean, here we're talking about a a known group of, of you know, give or take 800,000 young people. Vetted young um, people. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, and it's young people, right? I mean, one right. is it's just, you know, one is it's it's a smaller piece, and two is it's a sympathetic group. It's a group that, you know, most people would admit, even even those that, you know, like Attorney General Sessions that say they should be deported, would would still admit that, that this was not a choice that they made, right? I mean, th- this is a group that, that certainly gets that acknowledgement from all sides. And, and certainly there's vast majority of Americans, including a majority in, in all, in both the Republican and Democratic Party and independents, interesting in some of the polling, show us that they're actually sympathetic to this group and would like to see something happen. So there's, there's a lot of momentum. But I think the biggest thing is, frankly, that it's, that it's manageable. And, and you could have a manageable trade-off. What, what I suspect is going to happen, you know, right now, the people who are supporting the, the various versions of the DREAM Act, you know, and particularly Democrats, but also a few Republicans, are saying, you know, we need a clean bill. We just need an up-and-down vote on this. Republican leadership, particularly Paul Ryan, Speaker of the House, is saying, you know, we need to have some enforcement added to this. So, yes, we'll pass the DREAM Act, but we need to have some sort of enforcement legislation. We don't know what that is, a few miles of wall. Maybe we have some border agents. You know, maybe that some people have proposed having the E-Verify system, which which requires employers to check the legal status of employees. Some sort of, of, of addition to the bill that's enforcement focused. My guess is you're going to end up with a bill in the end. A bill, if it gets momentum, will have some enforcement, not a huge, inf- it's not going to be E-verified for the whole country probably, but but it may be some miles of wall, it may be a few border agents, it may be some step forward on enforcement that's manageable and small in return for legalization of a small, relatively small group of people, also manageable and small. And, and when you break it down that way, be, you could see that a deal is, is possible that both sides would actually be happy with. And do you think that was part of President Trump's motivation in, in tossing it back to Congress to give him additional leverage for his wall or for other immigration reform? I, I suspect it was. You know, I think it gives um, him some leverage to get... Uh, uh, to get something on enforcement, probably a, just a down payment on the wall or a down payment on on funding for agents, um, and and it gives people who want to see the uh, the dreamers uh, get legalized uh, um, gives them ammunition to make a deal. Also, even though both sides right now are talking as though 
you know, the, 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 from extreme positions, my guess is there's a deal that could be made here. And there's also something else coming up. I mean, as we know, last week, uh, President Trump struck a deal with Democrats on the budget, which means that the budget bill and the debt limit have to be negotiated in December. And my guess is you're going to see a number of things bundled together in agreement in December. And this is certainly one prime candidate to be part of a, of a, big, of a big deal where each side um, walks away with something that they really wanted um, and gives a little bit on, on other things as well. And I think that's going to be – it's going to be budget plus debt limit plus a couple other things, and this could easily be one of those things. One of the main campaign items, though, in 2016 was immigration reform, and it certainly took uh, played a big part in the Republican primaries uh, and also in, in the general election. Uh, is this part of that, or are they going to label it as part of that, or is this instead of Congress tackling major reform? You know, I, I don't really know that. I think that's a really interesting question to watch. Um, this could really be a one-off. It could be something that, you know, all sides can agree on or most sides can agree on enough for a majority in both houses. Um, you know, a little bit of enforcement and legalization of a very specific group. Um, I, I think it could just come off as a one-off and not come back again. Um, or it could be the beginning of a larger conversation about how do we both have a fair legal immigration system, one that actually works, one that makes sense. The one we have right now has lots of, of loopholes and, and well, it was, it was made 50 years ago. It was made in the mid-1960s. Right. So it's an old immigration system that really doesn't work very well now. So how do we have a new legal system? How do we have real enforcement that makes sense? And then what do you do about the undocumented population that's here? You know, and, and, and my guess is that's going to be a longer way off but perhaps this leads to a conversation about what do the contours of a bigger deal look like, whether or not it's realizable right now. But it's also possible this is a one-off and, and the buck stops there and, and there isn't any further discussion afterwards, at least not realistic further discussion. I know this is your area of specialty, but when you look at Congress and you look at the White House and you look at their legislative priorities as they state them, which are tax reform, uh, certainly the budget and the debt ceiling and uh, infrastructure, where does immigration come into all of this? It was primary in the in, during the campaign. But it seems like it's taken a secondary role in the uh, legislative wants of this White House. Yeah, it, it is much lower priority. And, you know, part of that is for most, most Americans actually are fairly comfortable with immigration levels in the United States. Um, you know, surprisingly, there's a part of, of President Trump's base that feels very strongly we need to reduce immigration. There is part of the Democratic base that feels that we need to increase immigration. But most people are fairly comfortable with the levels we have. They would like to see a system that worked better, that made more sense. They'd like to feel security about who comes into the country. But, but they're fairly happy with what we have. It's not a high priority issue for most Americans. And so you've seen it drop down in the legislative agenda, whereas, you know, tax reform, taxes is something everyone has an opinion on. You know, I mean, there, there, there are other issues that really are up there on the, the front of the agenda. Infrastructure, hugely important for industry, hugely important for state and local governments around the country. And so these are issues that really are on the front burner right now. So I think actually immigration is much lower. I think that's actually good for, for the DREAM Act. I mean, I think it makes it much more likely that it kind of gets rolled into a negotiation with other things that are 
that probably matter more to some of the party leaders. Um, it's probably not good for for a bigger immigration reform down the road. I think that actually is. I would I would guess that that's not going to happen during the term of this president. That the, that's something for further down the road because you know tax reform and infrastructure will be all consuming issues. Um, this discrete piece though may actually happen. If it does not. We had the president sort of giving uh, contrary statements. First, I want to rescind this, and Congress has six months, period. Secondly, there were the tweets that if Congress doesn't do anything, I'll revisit this. How does that fit into the picture? Um, I've stopped trying to predict what the president's going to do, so okay. I, I, I don't know the answer to that. Okay. Because um, I've tried that a few times and failed. So, you know, I, 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 I think it's dangerous to I, – I think he's sympathetic to the issue, which is good. I think it's on the radar screen. I don't know what that means, but I think what is going to happen is if this fails legislatively and we get to February and March where DACA actually ends, this is going to become a much bigger public issue. Um, you know, it hasn't been, except around the time of the, the, the announcement last week, it hasn't been a big public issue for most Americans. But it is something that arouses a lot of sympathy. And so my guess is this could politically backfire, both on Congress and the president, if they don't do something. Um, and, and we may see it become a much more high-profile public issue. And I have to say on this, I mean, a lot of credit, whether you agree or disagree with them, a lot of credit goes to the dreamers themselves. I mean, this is a case where... We've seen young people who grew up in this country, who grew up in the shadows in this country, but also they grew up in this country. You know, many of them have gone to college. A number of them have gone to some of the top colleges in the United States. Um, they're pretty savvy, and, and they've learned to be politically engaged, and they've really put this issue on the agenda. I mean, I have to say they've really – this is not one where sort of advocates came in from the outside to, to try and help them. This is one where they've really found their own allies – Republican and Democratic Party and in advocacy groups, and they've really built the case. I think we're going to see this becoming a, a big public issue um, if it doesn't get resolved by Congress. And, and then politicians have to decide if they really want it to be a big public issue or not. And we're looking at February, March, leading into primary season for the yes. uh, off-year uh, off election in 2018. Yeah, very much so. And, and look, that could play both ways. I mean, there is very much a... a a constituency, primarily in the Republican Party, a little bit in the Democratic, but primarily in the Republican Party, that that is deeply opposed to anything that looks like amnesty, and so this could backfire, you know, against some Republicans that support it, right, or or tried to support it and it failed. That said, there's also a lot of Republicans, there's a lot of Republican sympathy, and if we believe the polls, it looks like majority Republican sympathy for doing something about the Dreamers, if not about other immigrant groups, but the Dreamers is a special case. Um, for a very specific situation. And and certainly in the Democratic Party, it's a big issue. And so my, my guess is that this would, politicians probably don't want this one added on to other things that they have. Now, I think the other question here is, you know, this they could either do a permanent or temporary fix. One, one of the things Congress loves to do sometimes <laughs> is, you know, is do temporary fixes, right? So you sort of, again, cut the baby in half one more time. Right. And and so they could do another essentially what, what President Obama did did and do sort of a, you know, this time legislatively, but do something that doesn't make people a resident, but gives them three to five years 
you know, of legal status again, and then it has to be resolved down the road. That's one of their possibilities. The most likely is they would try and do a permanent fix, you know, and give people legal status. But, but that is one of their their options if they really get their backs up against the wall and can't agree. Is that they do another fix that lasts for a short period of time, and they let another Congress deal with this down the road. Last question for you, Dr. Seeley. You're our immigration migration expert. Uh, what else should we be looking at on the horizon uh, in in this area? Well, you're, you're seeing lots of members of Congress talk about specific legislation, none of which is likely to go anywhere, you know, the next two or three years. Right. But it's the beginning of a conversation. So, you know, we saw one from Senator Cotton, piece of legislation and which President Trump endorsed that would, would uh, you know, in, introduce a point system for legal immigration and cut legal immigration in half. Right. Um, we've seen legislation introduced today by a member looking at how you um, uh, implement E-Verify, this system for employer sanctions, um, and for, well, for employee verification where you have to check people's legal documents and, and then sanction em- employers that don't use the system. Um, we will probably we see some legislation coming from the Democratic side at some point, um, looking at at some sort of comprehensive immigration deal. Um, I think you're going to see a lot. There's some discussion on tech visas right now and how to reform the tech visa system. I mean, I think we're going to see a lot of, of markers put down by politicians who want to be part of the conversation, not because they expect the legislation to go through now, but but we're starting a conversation about how to fix our immigration system. And it's a conversation that's going to go on, I'm going to guess, for the next two, three, four years, probably three or four years before, if we're lucky, there's some sort of resolution. But people want to have those markers down and have the parts that they care most about put out there. So I think this is going to be a a point of conversation, but probably not yet a legislative battle like tax reform, which really may actually get into, you know, where we may actually see real proposals moving forward, whether they win or not, but we may see some real action. This is going to be people really talking up what they want our immigration system to look like down the road. And that's a healthy conversation to have. I, I said it was my last question. I lied. I have one more. And, <laughs> and, and that is uh, the Supreme Court is going to be looking at President uh, uh, President Trump's uh, travel ban. And I'm using that as uh, just as a shortcut for his sure. executive order. Uh How's that going to play? Because that'll be most likely decided by the end of June of 2018. How will that play in all that you just mentioned? You know, I I think it is, um, it'll be interesting to see what the court decides. But ultimately, the, the, the courts so far have upheld parts of the travel ban and not others. I mean, they've upheld the his right to make the decision, but they have required a broad definition of who can still come in. Right. So it's sort of a, a victory for both sides. My guess is, you know, from policy terms, at least politically, obviously the president doesn't want to lose the court battle and, and his opponents would love, would love him to lose it. So, you know, politically it matters, but in policy terms, the president really does have broad discretion about who comes in and Homeland Security can also um, do quite a bit in terms of how they draw the rules um, for admission and what kind of background checks they do to comply with the president's wishes. And so my guess is the president will get most of what he wants in terms of tightening up the the refugee system. Um, And he will get most of the content of it. 
we will probably see continued low numbers of, of refugee entrance into the United States um, because he can decide that. Right. Um, and and uh, what, you know the the court case will be a political victory one way or the other, but it won't make much difference in terms of policy. Dr. Seeley, as always, thank you so much for taking your time and giving us your expertise. It's a great pleasure to be with you. Today, we've been talking with Dr. Andrew Seeley, the new president of the Migration Policy Institute in Washington, D.C. We've been talking about the Trump administration's elimination of the DACA program and the president tossing this immigration issue to Congress to solve. Spectrum is produced by WWB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hodson. Please subscribe to Spectrum at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or at NPR One. We always welcome your feedback, so please rate our podcast or review it, and you can do that through Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions or comments about this or any of our podcasts, please direct them to me by email at hodson at ohio.edu. That's hodson, H-O-D-S-O-N, at ohio.edu. 